You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Welcome. I'm Chris Scott, host of Meeting Pod and contributing editor at Meeting Place and Alt Meat Magazines. In light of this month's Thanksgiving holiday and last year's concerns about highly pathogenic avian influenza, our guest today will be able to provide a snapshot on where the turkey business stands operationally near the end of 2023. Neil Walsh is Chief Operating Officer at Butterball LLC and has direct responsibility for operations at the six Butterball turkey processing facilities and all of its related support functions. Neil has been with Butterball for nearly 17 years focusing on operations and strategy for much of his tenure, and will give us at MeetingPod some perspectives on the challenges in turkey processing in recent years. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Neil. You're welcome. I guess the smoothest way to ease into our conversation would be to use a twist on the old adage, what a difference a year makes. At this point in 2022, USDA had estimated that highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HBAI, factored in the loss of 5.4 million turkeys, or an estimated 2.5% of all turkeys that were commercially slaughtered for meat in 2021. Obviously, the impact of HBAI has been more limited this year, but can you give us a snapshot of where the industry stood one year ago when fears of a shortage of turkeys for Thanksgiving stretched nationwide? Yes. First of all, I'd like to thank you for hosting uh, me today, even considering the threat of high-path avian influenza. I can't speak for the industry, but I can provide you a little insight on where Butterball stood a year ago. We lost only seven flocks or less than 1% of our total annual supply. We had learned a lot back in 2015, the last episode of AI, and we put a lot of those practices into place and we tested those practices each year And as a result, we were able to accommodate consumer demand and the customer needs during the 2022 holidays. Well, it sounds like you definitely spent some time learning lessons from the previous exposures. Now, the biosecurity measures that were launched across the U.S. poultry industry last year at the height of HBAI seem to have been effective in protecting enough birds for this holiday season. Were there enough specific activities that turkey producers and processors launched that differed from the protective measures implemented for broilers and laying chickens? Again, I can't speak for the whole industry, even though when it comes to food safety, uh, team member safety, and our animal safety, we as an industry share stuff back and forth through the National Turkey Federation and our government friends at the USDA. But at Butterball, we're always diligent about the health of our birds. High-path avian influenza isn't the only threat to the turkeys. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. I grew up on a cattle farm in the mountains of North Carolina. And my mom always had a dish full of hot soapy water when she was cooking. And she did that as preventative. Also, on the farm, we tried to keep pests away that would cause disease for the cattle or whatever. And we do the same thing at Butterball. We make sure that our folks are trained and retrained and trained again. We have checkers checking the checkers. 
to make sure those processes, those best practices shared across the industry and from our government friends, that we do those every day because we want those turkeys to be healthy and happy. And if you do that every day, better off than not, you may dodge a bullet every now and then. Makes sense. Now, as we were setting up for our conversation today, Neil, USDA in October confirmed the first HBAI outbreaks among commercial U.S. turkeys since April in Idaho, South Dakota, and Utah. Beyond the biosecurity measures already in place for such operations, are there any new contingencies on the horizon for Butterball and its producer partners? I don't think there's any new contingency, as I said in the last question. But when it hits, we do have heightened. We'll go back and triple check. And we'll do certain things like if a local high school FFA wants to come on and see a farm, anytime there's a heightened risk, we'll stop doing that. A lot of high path avian influenza is uh, happens around the flyways where the ducks and the geese and that migrating animals right. happen. And during that time of year, uh, we lock down extra special. I mentioned the the FFA folks, if they want to come visit, we're going to do it when that waterfowl is not moving back and forth. And we do little things like that just to make triple sure that the processes we put in place all the time are met. Now, are there times when your colleagues and competitors at the NTF are available for consultation and, as you said, spreading these ideas among the industry players? We have a couple of executive meetings each year, and during those times, that information is shared. And when something hits, that committee will get uh, a special meeting set up to handle any of those questions. Or if somebody finds something that's working very well, or another member may need something, uh, a specific equipment or an idea on a new sprayer, we will share that information. We, we won't wait until trouble hits to do that. We do that as an industry all the time. Keeping things up to date, of course. Now, before we turn our discussion toward this year's turkey supply outlook, were there any adjustments that processors focused on last year to stop the spread of various HBAI strains among birds that arrived at plants in the middle or at the end of record-setting viral outbreaks? First, important to know, according to the USDA, avian influenza does not pose a food safety threat. The second part of that is any birds that's found to have high path avian influenza never make it to a processing plant. All flocks are tested and when they show positive, we have strict guidelines from the USDA on how we handle and quarantine those birds and the area around. And that's how we try to mitigate that spread. So the testing happens long before it reaches the processing plant. That is correct, sir. Now, did some of these programs involve working in a different way with your suppliers last year, even as the threat of turkey shortages, along with inflationary pressures, ultimately affected both retailers and consumers during last year's holiday period? Last year, we surveyed our consumers after the holiday season, and we found out that inflation was a factor in how they celebrated. But one thing they would not skimp on, and this is the consumers talking to us, is the centerpiece of the celebration, that wonderful butterball turkey. They were not going to skimp on that, even though times were tough. They would look at other areas around the meal to make sure that that centerpiece was available. Terrific. 
Now, Neil, you've been with Butterball for nearly 17 years now in a variety of positions, including purchasing, strategy development, and operations. Can you give our listeners a sense of the types of changes and adjustments, positive and negative, that you've seen in the U.S. turkey and poultry business over the last few decades? Demand. I can remember growing up in Wilkes County, North Carolina, and chicken wings were almost given away. We would take them and prepare them for Sunday service celebrations at the church and fried drumettes, and you almost given away. Now you cannot go to a restaurant, a casual restaurant, and not have some sort of chicken wings on the menu. When I was growing up, chicken sandwiches really didn't exist. Now, I'm not sure, but I think the chicken sandwiches are close to selling as many as burgers. Ground turkey. Growing up, there was not ground turkey. Now, ground turkey is available in as many options, if not more options, than ground beef. It is there. That demand has changed the industry dramatic. And speaking of which, if I need to ask a very strange question, we know that chicken feet are a delicacy in many other nations outside of the United States, including China. Is there a demand for turkey turkey feet? There is not. Even though about once every two years, someone from the operations side will say, hey, can you guys utilize these turkey feet? But no, it's not a delicacy like chicken feet. Okay, so that expansion hasn't happened yet. Not yet, but we're still working on it. Gotcha. Now, as an industry veteran, what are you expecting to see from future generations of poultry processing industry workers who currently are earning their degrees doing research at the nation's institutions of higher learning? Working in a protein facility has always been in hard work. When I was coming up, I was a management trainee for a large poultry company in 1986. It's always been hard work. But what we are trying to do is to make sure that we are offering these younger generations options on how to succeed at Butterball, how to to succeed at life. Um, We offer up to 30 internships a year. From those internships, we'll get down to about 20 management trainees. The management trainees will bring in and we will teach them every aspect of the poultry industry. The live, QA, plant, we'll show them how to do that. Then we specifically work with those folks on to be a supervisor in an operation. Here's a skill set that is required. We'll rate them on the skill sets. And then we have a learner catalog with training for each of those skill sets. The one that they need a little bit of work in, we'll give them that. We'll give them that training. And then we will give them the opportunity to grow within or otherwise other places other than Butterball if they like. And we do that by offering any kind of training you could think is possible. I was in Ozark, Arkansas. We go around twice a year and talk to all the associates. And a young lady was sitting in the back and she goes, this educational program you're talking about, I'm training to be a welder. And we said, We'll pay for that. I was sitting in Huntsville, Arkansas, and a young lady spoke up and said, look, my partner speaks Spanish. I want to be able to speak in her native tongue. Will you pay for that? And we had the learner catalog and said, yeah, here is the foreign language modules available to you. She was so happy. Also, the last part of that is 
those folks that come in and may decide that they're going to work in operations and they're with us for a couple of years and they're outstanding young talent and they decide, I want to go into QA. We chart out a process that they need to go, that if they want to be in QA, here is the training that you need, the path that you need, here's how much money you'll make, and here's how we'll help you do that. And that is helping us retain this great talent. And we're very excited about that program and what that means to get and keep people in the industry. So the Butterball operation in terms of training, not only enhances what they can do for Butterball, but what they can do for themselves and their lives. Our VP of HR, we're in a meeting and he made a very good statement. Any kind of learning, education, and training is good learning, education, and training. If we can help the people be just smarter and better, whether it's inside Butterball or outside, we'll do that. That's terrific. Well, let's take a quick break for a word from this episode's sponsor, Lindy. Lindy is a proud sponsor of today's podcast. Lindy provides the food industry with liquid nitrogen and liquefied carbon dioxide gases, as well as cryogenic processing equipment under the Cryoline and AccuChill brands. Our gases provide precise temperature control in several areas on the processing floor, cooling, chilling, and freezing of food products, Whether they are raw, marinated, or cooked, helps maintain inherent product quality, moisture, taste, and appearance. Browse our dedicated food industry site at www.lindyfood.com. Now back to our podcast. And we're back. Let's take a look at the current state of innovation when it comes to the turkey business. Can you identify some of the trends that Butterball or the industry is developing or implementing And are these efforts being developed mostly in-house or more as part of a research project being conducted at the nation's colleges and universities? Butterball, we're lucky at our locations. We've got some of the best ag schools around. Here in North Carolina, we have NC State, Arkansas. We've got Arkansas. Uh, Our HR folks are pulling folks in from Auburn, Penn State, everywhere. We're really blessed to be able to work not only with the ag programs of those fine institutions, but their engineering school, their IT, computer science schools coming mm-hmm. in. One of the things that's really popping up in the industry is advanced analytics. And that is just taking the data that you have and finding trends inside that data. Also in the advanced analytics is what can the machine tell you? The equipment nowadays is so, it's like your car. It can tell you when it's starting to feel bad. If you've got a pump or a grinder and it's pushing too hard, it's working too hard, the amps reading can tell the maintenance folks what they need to do so we can quickly and efficiently fix those machines before they break down. That type of automation is improving the uptime in the facilities. And if you can improve that uptime, you're automating and making them process more efficient. And that's very prescient because we have a question coming up on automation and artificial intelligence specifically. Uh, In a post-COVID world, turning back to your current workers, is Butterball still taking measures to protect workers from potential recurrence of viral infections while working in close quarters? And how is the company addressing any labor shortages that may have arisen in recent years? 
Well, first I'll address that uh, labor shortage. All that passion that I had around what we were doing for our team members, Mm -hmm. that is the main thing we are doing to address the labor shortage. If folks want to come and work for Butterball and they know they have a path to grow and become better, they'll flock to Butterball. No pun intended. (laughs) As far as the COVID question, safety is number one at Butterball. That's not a cliche. Every meeting we start with safety, we push safety always. And if that has to do with COVID or worker safety, whatever it may be, that's top of mind all the time. Okay. Looking back over your career, what would you identify as one of the most more important advances in turkey processing? Are there any concepts that you believe should be considered on the horizon to better protect Butterball's operational structure and future success? Yeah, we're in the food industry and people need clean water, clean air and food. We have a moral imperative to continue to provide in the most efficient manner, nutritious Butterball turkey. And we only be able to do that if we embrace the technology. How do you produce it safer? with less energy, and sustainable. That is what we have to do in the future because that's what our consumers want us to do. Research has told us not only do the current consumer need to feel good about what they're buying, they want to feel good about the company that is preparing that food for them. And we take that very seriously. And that sense of consciousness is spreading among consumers, no doubt about it. Now, finally, several of our previous meeting podcasts, to turn back to what you were speaking about before, they've outlined how improved robotics, artificial intelligence, and other operational advances are being developed for poultry processing to include humans working with these new technologies. Is this concept something that Butterball is considering implementing somewhere down the road? And do you have any concept of a timetable of when that might be possible? I'm not sure I know enough about artificial intelligence to tell you exactly where it is, what it is, or how it is. But I'll give you a couple of examples on technology that we are doing today. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I've been in the industry 40 years, and there's one thing we have to have that every food manufacturer has to have, and that is good, trained maintenance folks that know how to fix things good mechanics. And how do we make those good mechanics better? Each mechanic we have has a handheld device, Mm -hmm. like an iPad, and they can walk out into the plant and they walk up to a turkey bacon slicing machine that makes our wonderful turkey bacon. They hit a button, it scans a QR code, and now that iPad knows that maintenance guy is working on that machine. And he's getting ready to change out a bearing in the slicing module. He can pull up on that iPad and have showing right beside of him, not only step-by-step instructions, but a video that shows him how to do it properly and what a properly greased bearing looks like and how to close it up and to make sure. And oh, by the way, while you're in there, don't forget this, 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 Mm -hmm. and this. That makes that maintenance team member more effective. And if he's more effective, he can do more and more and more in the same amount of time and more than likely do it better. And if you take that thought process across everything you do, 
to make the folks on the floor in the fight to be able to do their job just a little bit better through technology, everything improves. Everything. And that falls into what you were saying earlier about machines actually being able to say, hey, we might have a problem here even before the maintenance worker is on the way to take a look at it. I'll give you an example of that. A condenser, it takes and makes things colder, condenses Mm -hmm. things down. And it used to be that you would run and a guy would walk by and use a thermal trigger, thermal gun, and hit it, and it would tell him what the temperature is. And if it looked like this or fell in this range, he needed to do this. That same guy's getting an email, and the machine's telling him how warm they are and three or four things that may be wrong with it to try to fix during the next break. That kind of technology to make everybody more efficient will make us all more efficient. And that efficiently, of course, translates into better operations and better margins and more meat and all kinds of other positives for the company in terms of production. And if all those things are positive to Butterball, it's going to be positive for our consumers. Right. Well, that's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on the jerky industry today, Neil, especially with what's happening at Butterball. And per usual, thanks to our listeners for tuning in this week. That's a wrap. Until next time. Thank you. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meat magazines on social media, and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeat.net. We'll be right back.